Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast, and this is our special Father's Day episode, and I'm with Dad in the office today, and uh, looking forward to talking with you about the matter of fatherhood, and uh, we're going to celebrate this coming Sunday, Father's Day, so make sure that you go out and get your dad a tie. For Father's Day. Pay his socks or something. And uh, I always joke at our church that, you know, Mother's Day is a big celebration and Father's Day, you know, you give dad a tie and you're pretty much done for the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, may be true. And, and the role of fatherhood is very, very important and uh, unnoticed, uh, but we do always uh, very much appreciate our mothers at the same time. And there's uh, some ideas behind that. Mom tells you how wonderful you are. Yeah. And then fathers bring you back down to earth. Yeah. Um, I, I think with moms also is the fact that they really are, I think somebody once said, a writer once said that moms are like the Holy Spirit in the home. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they give a sense of the spirit of the atmosphere and everything. Nurturing. Uh, nurturing that. and so forth. Yeah. Right. I think that's so critical because um, we don't have much of that anymore. No. It's, everything's business. Yes, it is. And it doesn't give a sense of well-being. It... Um, children are add-ons and we farm them out because it's more important what we acquire what we have what we have parked in the driveway what uh, how many bedrooms the house yeah, yeah. I, I grew up with four boys in one room i feel bad for these that have their own room yeah it must, they be, it must to, be a boring life huh yeah they have to go to bed when they go to their bedroom we yeah. had, that's when all the fun started in our house <laughs> that was bedtime yeah until dad showed up uh, come up after because his room sitting. Because sp- sitting I, I, chair. I imagine the noise levels just uh, gradually increased as um, <laughs> yeah, you start out quiet and then it, you, you know, yeah, that's true. Or you jump off from the bunk bed down onto the floor, and uh, next thing you know, there'd be downstairs, a voice. big thud. Yeah, there'd be a, a voice. Hey, quiet it down down there. Get back to bed. And then uh, so we'd be quiet for a little while. Next thing you know, he'd come up the stairs and. Uh, get us in shape. So, but we did have a lot of fun. If you had at odds with one of your brothers or whatever, you go. There was always another one you could hang yeah. with. <laughs> and you were the baby boomer generation. And during that generation, when people came home from the war, they appreciated uh, so much just uh, having a home and having an, a family that that completely fulfilled them. And then probably, you know, it wasn't until the all the wealth created by the uh, military or the the um, Switching from military to all this, um, you know, baby boomer society, getting all this wealth, and then uh, the baby boomers had a had an existential crisis. Uh, but that uh, in their parents, the parents coming home from after fighting World War II with the Greatest Generation, they just uh, valued the home, valued the family. But well, I want, but they, they came out of the depression as well. And the thing mm-hmm. is, is even then, uh, I can still remember my dad here living in Webster and growing up in Webster and. His mother, there'd be a knock at the door, and there'd be some fella that had ridden the rail into town, into the town of Webster, got off the... Just looking for work. Looking for work. Said, you got any work we can do? And he would say that his mother would say, well, I don't have any work for you, but if you come around back, I'll put a meal out on the porch. And she would put a meal out on the screened-in porch, and then she'd lock the, the door into the house or whatever, which... You know, was you know he just made mention of that. There mm-hmm. wasn't that era where these people these these were men and had families that were looking for work, right? And they'd sit out there and have that meal, which may be the first meal they've had in a while. But that's the generation that turned around, went into World War II, as many know, mm-hmm. and then they came back. And just like you said, that for them to appreciate home and family and tranquility and a job. And what they did, you know, certainly was a transformation. In the turn society. of the century, also. Um, most Americans grew up on farms, mm-hmm. and then during the Depression, also, I mean, your family unit—that uh, was that was your unit for survival. You know, every yeah. member of the family was right. very important family, yeah. and you all had a role to play. You know, if you're four years old, you you know you fed the chickens, and that was your duty. And you know the other you know the others uh, working in field work, and then going through hard times, the Great Depression, living hand to mouth, that you completely and utterly depended upon each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think of uh, our our day, you know, what, 2% of America might be growing up on a farm now? Not very many no, not have very that many. privilege. Not a family type of thing. It's it, it's not even functional almost. Um, but also the, the thing is, is, like my dad, he went to the sixth grade, and then he went to work. And that would have been, he was born in uh, 1919, and so he'd have been, had been the 30s, early 30s. 
And the thing is, that was prime time for everybody trying to get by. And so he'd go to work so that he could help the family, mm -hmm. 12 years old. So you're right. The family union, unit was much stronger. And um, prosperity has always been a liability uh, or a challenge to people's character. Mm -hmm. And that, that sense of belonging um, brings you mental and emotional stability because you were needed, you were wanted in any strongly knit social uh, community. Uh, you know, they, they tend to live a lot longer, be far happier, uh, be more resilient even to illness and diseases. You know, I read a book, it was called The Blue Zones, and it's about the, the different locations of the world where there's the most amount of centennials. And there's different commonalities, but the basic commonality is that there's a strong social community where these people live to 100 years old, meaning that even in their old age, they're felt needed and they're felt wanted and they play an important role in their children's and their children's children's and perhaps even of the fourth generation living to 100 years old. They feel tightly uh, knit to that community. You know, and I think of uh, grandma, my, uh, my kid's grandma, great, living on Union Street for the last 75, 80 years and uh, surrounded by family mm -hmm. and uh, living on her own 100 years old, very healthy and resilient. Even though she's been through some hardships, she has a you know, close tight knit family that's just kept her, um, sound. Yeah. No it, interaction. And she's kind of like the matriarch of the family, mm -hmm. obviously, but, uh, yeah, they're always intersecting with her and, uh, visiting with her and find out how she's doing, checking yeah. on her and everything. And but even that's, that's yeah. And even society itself, um, you know, back, uh, when, you know, grandma and grandpa got married, you couldn't just go down and get no, no fault divorce. Right. You go before a judge and say, you're not abandoning your family. I'm not going to allow a divorce. It was very hard to get one even because they realized the importance in, of the committed family to each other, the importance of the family union. <clears throat> they were all important to the, the health and viability of that unit. Yeah, and of the society. Mm -hmm. um, that's true. Unless in a, there was an abandonment or, you know, whatever, somebody leaving for some with someone else or whatever, it was very difficult to get because they realized the nucleus of the, the society is the family. And God ordained it from the very beginning as far mm. as a man and a woman joined together as husband and wife, and they, they're going to have offspring and children, makes up the family unit and continues on. And when you, that's negated in our society, which it is, mm -hmm. unbelievably, that uh, co, they call it cohabitating. We just call it shacking up. Right. Um, and the thing is, is they want to make sure this is the right person, really going to live in immorality and, and fornication to figure out whether that's the person. And, okay, let's say it's not. Then you try somebody yeah. else. And Yeah, you know, when yeah it and end? it's all done in the name of self-fulfillment. And, uh, you know, really, when a couple guys comes together, they come together because they love each other, but they take their marriage vows because they're promising future love. Right. And that's what separates us between us and the animals that are around us. Mm -hmm is that we can voluntarily promise our future love, vow that before God and these assembled witnesses uh, that we are going to form together a unit with uh, this person. And yeah. it's, it's going to be its own economy. It's going to be its own culture. Two cultures are going to collide. Uh, and uh, if God wills, there's going to be a propagation of um, your genes and you're going to have a, your own family unit, your own family structure. Yeah, it's well. I think it's it it, it was so um, evident in our society, even from the very uh, and handed over perhaps be, by our English ancestry, so to speak, uh, was the idea. So help me God, mm -hmm. um, and the things of vows of marriages before God. And it's amazing how that presently there are people that are refusing to say so help me God when it comes to an oath, whether it's an oath of office, whether it's in a courtroom. Um, you know, so help me God is, is uh, become anathema, so to speak, because there was a time, and the same thing, the testimony of a dying man was, was taken to the bank because that person who was dying knew they were going to stand before God mm -hmm. when the lights went out. And the thing is, is, so they wanted to get things straightened out. Well, now um, we have a society that, you know, they, they don't take that as the final because there's no fear of God in people's eyes. So... Yeah, I think our families have been destroyed because of lack of faith or relationship with God or Bible, which has really hurt us. 
Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. He, yeah, yeah. If you don't have the the um, under basic understanding of accountability before Almighty God, uh, you cannot uh, walk with your fellow man in um, in the right orientation. Uh, instead of just being about emotion, love about, I don't love my wife anymore. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, you're commanded to love. It doesn't say yeah. it's some sort of organic emotion that's you know, coming out of your uh, person or whatever, but it ultimately, where does love come from? It originates with God. If you don't have a right relationship with God, uh, you're not going to be able to love in a capacity that you love or, you know, that own accountability that well, people... And with that, I think with that, the fact is, if you don't understand the, the right relationship with the Lord, you can talk about the Lord, but it doesn't mean you mean you, you're serious or you have faith that there is a God. And so you live your life self so self focused that everybody else has no bearing on your life. I mean, there was years ago in our society that people belonged to something, mm-hmm. units and mm-hmm. gatherings, and maybe fraternities and churches and communities. And I can remember. You know, when I was a kid, we went to watch the high school basketball team. I mean, there was a town like, turned like, out. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Hoosier where there's got a bus and it's got about 70 cars following it to the game? Right. That's what I remember as yeah. a kid. I mean, even in elementary school, we'd hop in the station wagon and we'd head off to some school someplace uh, to watch our high school. Ba- you, you don't have that anymore. You have parents that have their kids playing, but so there's a lack of 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 communities, Community no spirit. kids, no families, and, and everything else is quite different. And I think it goes back to the fact of uh, having a relationship or the awareness or fear of God that that causes people to have that relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, sense of community has has gone away, and really, I think that has led to the amount of um, depression and anxiety and um, people feeling well, a genuine sense of loneliness. Oh, yeah. Because there is not that uh, community structure where I am not my own. I belong to my, well, I belong to God. I belong to my family. I belong to my church family. I belong to my community. I belong to my country. And that, that sense of, you know, social responsibility that we have to the people that are around us. Well, so responsibility as well, and it may not even be a manufactured responsibility on our part. It may be just the fact that I won't do these things in front of people that know me, but if nobody knows me, right. <laughs> and whatever therefore if the only last bastion is my family that knows me, okay, I get rid of my mm-hmm. family so I can do whatever I want to do. So yes. I have no, no witness, um, of, in, in my life of what I'm, do, you know, what I'm doing. And, I think that dovetails into the, the thought I had as far as the fatherless homes. And there's two kinds of fatherless homes. One is where literally, physically, there's not a father there. Uh, the other one is the father is there, but he's really not there. I mean, he doesn't function within the family structure other than the fact that he comes home, sits on a chair, the kids do their thing, he does his thing. And, you know, he, he says, hey, I make sure they have food and a bed mm-hmm. to sleep in and everything else. But there's no community or no society there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or interacting where there's a devotion towards one another because of the interaction. I, I, um, I read a little illustration about this, and it had to do with hurting our father. And it, it was about this college freshman girl who went out with a, a senior boy, and the senior boy wanted her to do things um, that she she knew was wrong and wasn't right. And he said, well, nobody will see you. And she said something to the effect of, yeah, but um, my my father, I'm worried about my father. And he said, are you worried about what he'll do to you? And she said, no, I'm worried about what I would do to him. Yeah. In doing this wrong. Right. And um, I think it's the same thing. We oftentimes think of, I don't do this because of what God might do to me rather than in me doing this, what what, what am I doing to God? Right. As far as that relationship we should have with him. Yeah, and I, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into that in just a minute, but um, or at some point, is that uh, the fathers, you know, the mother is the nurturer, and you know, she is a protect, protector, and the father really is the key to the outside world, and um, and especially if, you know, for instance, there's a girl uh, 
And uh, her relationship with all other boys is going to be somewhat of a reflection of a relationship to her father. And if she has a nurturing father who loves her and cares about her, and, um, you know, that's why I tell my daughter that she's pretty because I don't want her to run away with the first boy who tells her that she's pretty Mm -hmm. and uh, try to give her attention, talk to her, communicate with her because she's already got a man in her life. So the next man that comes along that I'm going to give her away to has got to come through me uh, to have my have uh, my daughter's hand mm-hmm. and uh, as an outlet into the world in so many different ways too. Not just uh, that, you know. I think for boys, you know, your your mother always tells you how wonderful you are, and uh, you know, I think of there's a a gangster show on TV is about Italian mafia, and it always opened up the uh, the song opened up. Uh, your your mother always told you that you were the chosen one. Uh, but your father never taught you about right and wrong. And, and so mom always tells you how wonderful you are. Yeah. And uh, your dad, your dad uh, is never there to, you know, yeah. speak reality in your life. You know, no, uh, I, I think, and I think what we're doing in our society is, is such a breakdown in the family. So the, for the, any man that would listen to this podcast, I, I think it needs to be a challenge to them to realize what is your function here on this earth? What legacy do you leave behind when you die? Is it the building you built or the home you lived in or the bank account you had? That is, has absolutely no value when it comes to eternal matters. And secondly, the next generation. Um, many times people want to leave money to their kids and leave, leave it so that they're, you know, they'll never have to work or they're going to be well off or whatever. Don't ruin them. You made it on your own. Let them make it on their own. Um, I'm not saying you got to try to help in some way, but somehow the idea of thinking that I'm going to make their life so that they would have no problems. That's, uh-huh, not, no. Re- that's not reality. No. In, in a man's, man's role is teaching the children how to face problems. Exactly. How to face the outside world. Well, you world. take, for example, all the popular people or movie stars and everything else, their kids it's are a tra- mess. Train wreck. And they got millions of yeah. dollars. They can't, I mean, those kids can drive whatever they want when they're drivable age. They can go, have... Go whatever college they want yeah, to yeah. or I mean, any well, of these Well, just like things. that one that, that paid $500,000 to get her her daughter on the sculling team or the rowing team and right. she never rowed in her life. Right. <laughs> you know, paid $500,000 to this guy that was going to try to get her in. Um, and again, it, it'll, it'll just end up ruining somebody. You got to teach them to work, teach them how to get through problems. And a lot of times that may just be the fact of asking them rather than telling them how to do it. Saying, okay, what do you think you need to do in order to correct the situation or uh, to fix that or whatever, rather than here, give it to me, you messed it up. Yeah. Yeah. And the man is to be the provider. You know, it says in, um, in the Bible that if you provide not for your own, you're worse than an infidel. You have denied the faith, Mm -hmm. but that's not where a man's responsibility stops. He also is to, uh, train up his children, uh, and bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and not Uh, provoke them, not to provoke him to wrath. Wrath. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, You're not telling them how worthless they are. You're not motivating, (laughs) motivating them by, um, frustrating them, but by, constantly, persistently, uh, patiently training them in the way that they should go. And, um, and the big one is you're training your children, not just for time, but also for eternity. And I, you know, I see so many parents today that, um, you know, for instance, talking to somebody about Awana, man, get your kids in Awana. Um, and they said, well, you know, they go to bed around seven o'clock. I said, well, Awana is more important than sleep. I mean, you know, they're going to seven, so they have well rested for school, you know, and so the public school system that's going to train your child in all sorts of ways that you do not want them trained for, you know, you're, you're, um, they've got your kid for almost 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and, uh, offsetting all the garbage they're being taught, right. uh, you know, they have an eternal soul, live forever, you know, get them into something but even now in, in being a, in a grandfather is realizing that it, it's not only the fact of the generation that comes from forth from your loins, so to speak, but actually the next generation. Now, uh, my wife and I, we, we look at our grandchildren mm-hmm. and, you know, we pray for them on a regular basis as far as, you know, that certainly God would help their parents, but also that they'd, you know, um, have a desire for the Lord, that they'd marry the right person, that they, all those things, because just as you said, it, it's more about eternity. I'd rather see my grandchildren in heaven than I would having the wealth of the world. Absolutely. And I, I, I say this to my church, guy. I've contemplated this and thought about this for a long time. Like, what's the end goal uh, with children 
And I would have to say that they would, just like the woman at the well, uh, worship the Lord Jesus in spirit and in truth. So I don't care if they are a trash collector who loves the Lord. Oh, I would right. rather have them doing that than to, to be some big executive CEO or a medical doctor or whatever. I would much rather brag on my children later on and say, man, they really love the Lord. I don't care if they're layman or pastor, missionary, you, whatever. You, yeah, you th- say Then if they're a, a medical doctor. Yeah, if you, you, you just saying that, it's so true that, you know, very few parents ever say that, but man, they got a good job. Uh, they work yeah. for a good company. Uh, they're able to go on vacation. They're, and that's that's their priorities. Or when they get through college, or they get into college or get out of high school, what do you want to do? Well, there's money in this and you need to take care of your family. So you need to get a job rather than seeking the Lord's direction. And like you say, whatever it may be in, I don't have any problem yeah. with that. And, that's, that's not my and, but, Yeah, I mean, money, I, I know a lot of rich, godly people, not a lot, a lot, but there is rich, godly people out there who have a lot of possessions, but their possessions don't possess them. Uh, but yet there's a lot of people who are rich and then also poor who put such a prize on money, and money is, um, you know, the desire of money is the root of all evil. And so you're making a false god uh, for your children to follow, and your gen- your generation is going to be cursed for the third or fourth generation because of the the pit that you put them in. And, uh, you know, you read through the prophets and they prophesy against the nations that are around Israel, you know, uh, Amalek or Edom. Mm-hmm. God a lot of times calls Esau because he looks down from heaven. He sees 150,000 people that all look like dad. Yeah. Because uh, Esau, who uh, God hated, mm-hmm. uh, who sold his, his godly Birth portion right. for, yeah. you know, bowl of porridge, you know, dad sells his spiritual heritage for, you know, a raise or a better job or whatever and pushes his kids towards, you know, um, the almighty dollar. And, you know, you have literally cursed your family for generations. Well, and, and you, know, you, you know, you've been in the ministry quite a while now, and so have I have. So have I. And the fact is, is there's a lot of Christians that do the very same thing you're making mention of, but they're anesthetizer blinded to it. They don't see what they're doing unless they do and they're just covering it. You know, it's hard to determine, but I, I know Christians and they, they serve in church and everything else, but they've made other things a priority to their children. For, for instance, education is such a God in society. And it's really, it's re, I'm for re- education. I'm, you know, I'm still trying to learn. You're a learner. And, you know, we, we put a priority on learning. But let's say, you know, you have a revival meeting. Uh, wow, I wish we could come to it, but it's a, you're not on a school night. Yeah. I think, well, why don't you not send them to school and send them to revival? And because, again, you have an eternal soul. Yeah. Yeah, and, right. No, the priority is way out of whack. Uh, and even the fact of when they get into activities and so forth, we make them a priority in the children's oh, sports. Life. Yeah. Sports and stuff. I don't mind sports. I'm mm-hmm. glad for them. Obviously, I, I love sports in that way. But if it came a decision as far as whether I, I do something tonight or whether I go to church, I'm sorry, I'm going to church. Yeah. Yeah, bro- Brother uh, Steve Swanky, who preached for us in our Spring Thought Conference, uh, has a very godly dad who is a multimillionaire uh, in very successful business. He's t- talking about some pastor you and I know. Um, out in California, called called dad up, said, "Hey, we had, we're short seven it's during COVID. We're short seventy thousand. Okay, yeah, I'll send you a check out tomorrow. Uh, I mean, so this is what kind of wealth this guy has, and he gives he gives a lot of it into the ministry. Uh, but he has twelve kids. Every single one of his twelve kids are in the ministry, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and but he he tells uh, Steve he tells a story about he was very good at baseball. He's on an all star team, all star state team." And it's on a Wednesday night. He's out there pitching. He's a pitcher, fast pitch. And um, he hears a voice calling to him from the pitcher's mound. It's a dad, come on, Steve. It's a Wednesday night. It was time to go to Bible study. He got called off the pitcher's mound. And he said, got in the car. And, you know, how, how many parents do you know? Would do, I, like, I, there's deacons and pastors that would, that would I, I never remember, pull their kid out of an all-star game. I remember the story that. that he told Steve. He said something about that's only temporal. Yeah. Or something to that effect. He said, yeah, he said, baseball's going to go away. Oh. He says, you're going to have God forever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's wisdom right there. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you have set that boundary and that priority. And some people say, well, that's legalism. Like, no, it's not. It's called love. Yeah. 
It's called love it's for like, Christ. It's like we like some people have some people have to go to church on Wednesday night. Some people get to. Yeah. You know, so he, <laughs> he actually loved God it. more than he loved baseball, and it was an easy choice for him. Yeah. Well, it's like weed in a garden. Mm-hmm. The, purpose, the purpose of weed in a garden is not necessarily you hate weeds other than the fact that you would destroy whatever plant you're trying yes. to, to grow, grow in there. And God looked at these men. He looked at them, and he also looked at their household. Whether it was Abraham, he, he was going to tell him about Sodom and Gomorrah because he, he, he steered his house in the right direction. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think of these people you see in the book of Acts who got saved and their house. Yeah. Uh, Lydia and her house, the Philippian jailer and, and his house. house. Uh, and so when they made God a priority, um, you know, whatever the big deal is in your house, it's going to catch on in the lives of your children. I mean, you're always going to have a black sheep. You're always going to have a rebel. But I would say the majority of children are upholders. They uphold the culture of... Yeah. of the um Well, that's where even the in the ministry, you and I have seen people that have been in the ministry and, and in the ministry, they've lost their kids. Mm-hmm. And, and again, there's going to be a black sheep now and then, but a lot of times the wrong priority. And I, I would say this of our own, you know, um, you know, fellowship or brethren, you know, as mm-hmm. far as that, because a lot of people say, well, I know a preacher. That, yeah, well, I know probably a hundred <laughs> laymen, laymen whose, you know, whose kids went bad. So yeah. I'm not sure the difference. Yeah. Uh, as far yeah, as we, that. We and had, it, uh, well, Roger Patel uh, stopped in on Sunday night uh-huh. and uh, he, he was coming through the area and he's got six kids and they're all, every single one of them is in the ministry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think of the proverb there, wisdom is justified of her children. Right. You know, Roger's a simple guy. Um, he's, done, he's done a lot for the Lord. But in his own life, you know, he wasn't working a job when he was pastoring. It was his calling. But God must have been a whole lot bigger than even the ministry because sometimes we can make an idol out of the ministry. Yeah, right, exactly. Because men, men um, are really identified by what they do. They identify their personal value by what they do. Um, so sometimes in the ministry we can, like, even really value the ministry and its success and, uh, you know, this legacy we're building in the ministry to the neglect of God, I think. Neglect of God and of their own family, their children. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they sacrifice their children on that altar. Well, they think if, if and it's the same thing. You know, I remember hearing a fellow that said, I lost my, kill, my children because of soul winning. Because the person, the pastor was out soul winning so much that he didn't have time to spend with his kids, and that's an excuse. But it's the same thing with a lay individual. They can say, well, you know, I teach Sunday school or I help around the church building, so my kids ought to turn out right. That's not how it works. No, no it's, not, it's not penance. I'm going to do penance over here to make up for, you know, if I, I do enough soul winning, it'll make up for my lack of parenting. Right. And then really, you know, with the idea of soul winning, well, you should have been winning your kids' souls. Yeah, right. What about that soul winning? Not only salvation-wise, but winning them beyond that. Right. Know? Yeah, no, that's true. I, you know, I, I brought a little clip here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of the things. It's from a, the U.S. Census Bureau and U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and, and Center for Disease Control. And we know how the Center of Disease Control wants to run our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, other agencies, and this is what they reported about children from fatherless homes. Now, again, there's two kinds of fatherless. One that's there, but he's not fathering. Uh, and then there's one that's just not there. He's absent. He's got his own life to live. He's got something better to do. And these children grow up, but here's the stats. It says five, the, the children from fatherless homes are five times more likely to live in poverty, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to go to prison, uh, higher risk of drug and alcohol abuse, increased incidence of, of internalized and externalized aggressive behavior problems, mm-hmm. uh, greater chance of running of runaways and homelessness, twice as likely to commit suicide. So, yes, we would say the person is definitely not there physically, even in the home, those things. But I wonder also when the father is not there, as you said early on, the fact of the sense of well-being. My mom and dad were married for 48 and a half years. Um, I mean, we never had to consider the fact of dad dad or mom leaving the home and being reared by one parent. And a lot of people experienced that, and God blessed them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't should not become the norm, and especially in a Christian's life. Mm-hmm. And God has a way of helping you if you find yourself in that situation to get you through that. But you're going to have to trust him. Mm-hmm. But you that are fathers and men of the home, you need to understand that these, these same effects can be on children that have a dad there but it's not there. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a tragedy. Um, you you know, I think I've been going to the county jail for like 14 years or whatever you, you got involved in it back in Wayne County. And uh, I mean the number of people, girls and guys, who didn't have their father in the home or a stepfather or a crazy existence in what yeah, it's called clo- home. It's cl- close to 90 percent yeah like it's uh, it's ridiculous it's just i mean it's sad and they're repeating the same thing cyclical uh, you know i i in fact last uh, saturday night i i did the uh uh ladies uh church service on saturday night and then on sunday morning at eight o'clock i did the men and because nowadays in New York State, they only want you to appear for a ticket if it's, you know, even if it's a felony or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So you'd have to do something really bad to have to show up at the and be a resident of the county lockup. But there was two women that happened to come in for the Bible study, and I asked them how many, uh, how many of you, do you, either of you have children, and both of them have children. One has three children. Here she is incarcerated. She's got three children at home. One of them is, I think, 17 years old the daughter is and she's starting to have problems with her and she was a good student in school and i mean it just and so i always ask this question periodically not every time i go in there but i i said to him i said do either of you belong to the to the she woman men's haters club in other words you hate men and they smile and laugh and you know they're, yeah you know nod their head yes and so my question is always who picked them for you well, obviously they picked them, mm-hmm. and so I. My next thing out of my mouth is says, "Yeah, obviously I had to get a better picker." And I asked the fellas the same thing. You know, they meant they belong to the He Man Woman Haters Club, because all those women are the same. Who picked them for you? Mm-hmm. So it's it's critical, and most of them have experienced a fatherless existence. Absolutely. And no man figure. And I'm not just exclusive. Obviously, God ordained a man and a woman. We happen to be around Father's Day, so we're talking about that aspect. But it's the joining together of a husband and wife as one flesh to rear their children and to pass along that which they hold to be very dear. If it's money, that's what you'll pass along. It's a selfishness, you'll pass that along. If it's being judgmental of other people, you guess what? They'll have it too. Yeah, and they'll turn they'll turn that gun on you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, the, it'll <laughs> right. be. Um, right. I, yeah. I remember a fellow had a, a particular vocation. He's in a vocation, um, and he's a, a young man still. And uh, in the vocation, he had a particular boss that was, um, you know, he, nobody liked him because he was always yelling. <laughs> and he said, um, he said, that's no problem. He said. I got used to that from my dad my whole life and said, so he yells, you know, I just go on with what I was doing anyway. Yeah. But that's where he grew up. He grew up with somebody screaming at him about going back to what you said, you know, stupid, ignorant, you know, can't you do anything right? And, um, and, and the thing is, is that they may fortunately the guy has a vocation. I think it's an honorable one, whether it's God's ordained or not, I don't know, but it's an honorable profession. And the fact is, is that he, that's what he recalls. Yeah. And, um, and of course, inside a home, of course, we're complementarians. That's a fancy name that we believe that uh, men and women are different and they play different roles. They're both equal yeah, in the eyes of God. They complement each other. <laughs> they complement each other. And so, you, you know, you think of um, men are stronger than women. I was listening to Buck and Clay the other day on the radio. I hardly ever do that. Um, but they took over Rush Limbaugh's show. And uh, so one of them, Buck or Clay, were, were citing how the fastest woman, female, fastest female runner, perhaps in the history of mankind. And he was saying it was some sort of, like, let's say, it was, I don't know, I don't, never did track and field. Let's say it was 500 meters and how fast she was. And so, again, the fastest woman in history, fastest woman ever known uh, to mankind. 250 high school boys beat her fastest time just last year. <laughs> These aren't even men yet. They're not even fully developed. Nope, yeah. Uh, and so men are, you know, absolutely physically built different. Yeah. They're stronger. And um, there's a reason for that. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, like, for instance, in warfare, what do men what do men do? Their tribe, their village, their people, their country, send them out away from the women and the children to face the enemy so they can come back to the women and the children. And, you know, men are the key to the outside world. If someone's breaking in your house, uh, here's what's going to happen in a normal household. Uh, so the guy is going to go face the attacker. He's going to go to where 
the noise is, where the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. The women are going to run towards the children. That's like their natural impulse. You see a woman run to and you know lay over her children to protect them. Right. You know that's a woman's instinct. The man is, I'm going to go face the enemy. Forget about the children right now. Yeah, and then I'm going to come back to them. I remember reading. I can't remember which Navy SEAL it was, but he was over in um, Iraq, and he was staying in one of Saddam's castles, and um, he was going to take a picture of the room that he was staying in because he's staying in a castle. Yeah. They're occupying a castle. Uh, and, he, and then he was going to take a picture for his wife, and he thought, oh, I better put some pictures out. So he put the picture of his wife and his kids all around the bed where he was sleeping in, in this really elegant room, took the picture, but then he says as soon as he took the picture, he took all those pictures and he, and he packed them away. He says, when I'm out at warfare, I can't think about my wife and children. i got to stay alive so I can go back to them. Yeah. Wow, that's it, true. You know, and so that, the man is the key to the outside world. And, you know, typically it's, it's the man's responsibility to be the provider. And he's going to go out on, you know, the hunting trips to bring meat back to the family. Or he's going to be the main guy out in the field. Uh, you know, he's bigger. He's, he's scarier. You know, he doesn't smell as nice as mama. Uh, but for the, for the boys, he is going to be, um, he's going to be their element to teach them how to, uh, fight, how to wrestle. Like even a, even a young man growing up, he doesn't know how to play fight unless he has a man in there, no one to stop. That's, you know, too far. That, that's hurting. It's not play fighting anymore, right. but little boys grow up, you know, fight. What are they doing? They're, they're practicing for the outside world. Uh, you know, little Johnny comes home and he's got a black eye. Well, mama goes berserk. I mean, her, her chosen one. I mean, the greatest kid that ever walked the face of the earth. Everything he does is golden. The little scribbles that he has in the paper with his crayons are the most artistic thing ever. Yeah. She puts them up in the fridge. I can't believe someone would hurt Johnny. I'm going right down to that school. And I, you know, I'm going to defend Johnny. And Dad goes, hold on. Who'd you fight with? Okay, what were you doing to him? You know, dad's going to figure out how to balance yeah. this all out. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> yeah. True. When you think of them people that walk the war, the ladies still can't figure it out. They know they're supposed to, or they're obligated by law, or basically uh, if they're drafted, um, conscripted to go into war, or whatever the case, but the women still can't grasp that. Yeah. But m- men can. Absolutely. And the most dangerous thing that you can ever do in warfare is put women there with the men because the men They're are gonna, not going to be thinking about attacking the enemy. They're going to be thinking about protecting the women that are with them. Yeah. And, right. And so it's their protection element. And, you know, Dr. Jordan Peterson always says that, uh, you know, with the man, what you need to do is become the greatest monster that you can possibly be, be the most fierce, um, strongest, capable man. So then you can offer your strength to your, to your woman and to your family. Right. And, uh, you know, and really. And, and I think maybe we'll go to Mother's Day on this just momentarily. The fact is that, that some of our society, they've trained women to think they were equal with men. And I don't mean the fact of God has, he wants, got 100% We're saying for equ- you. equally different. <laughs> e- equally different. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And the thing is, is that there's a certain a compliment that it is to each other. And we got to find that because what we're doing is we're losing it. And women are thinking, and you see it now, that this women's lib, you mentioned it a little earlier today. Uh, the fact is, is that the women's libs are getting really tore up because you got men that say they're women and then now they're mm-hmm. swimming in their pools and they're running a track and field. And you, when you started that, I just read an article the other day about some fella or a lady that was given a testimony that her whole high school, she trained, she was track and field, um, I can't remember what state she was from, but she went to, I think, Southern Utah University. I don't know if it was a scholarship possibly to run track and cross country and everything else. And she remembers the day, and she's writing against the idea of having these transgenders, you know, run against women. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. But uh, she had made mention of the fact that one day her coach said, now, I think it was University of Wyoming was coming down to run against them. And he wanted to know that there was a transgender on the team. She made mention of the fact when they lined up on the track and you look next to her and here's this fella, muscular, uh, taller, stronger, just even in their visage mm-hmm. that they had to run against. And he, because he, that's what yeah. he is, had even tied 
the NCAA record for that event, whether it was a 200-meter or 400 or whatever, as you're saying. He, he'd already tied the top woman ever mm-hmm. in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and she was she was saying. She, she worked her whole life, life, sacrificed so much yeah. for this event. To have it taken and, and, and totally run, running with, with people who all, uh, you know, previously every chromosome in their body was female. I'm now running against uh, somebody who has uh, this musculature, the skeletal structure is thicker and denser. Uh, he's got access to testosterone, which he can have put more output out of his muscles yeah. and everything else. And um, trying to somehow say that everybody's the same. is And somehow that science... You can't, fi- you can't, like they say, you can't fix stupid. I mean, it is the craziest thing. Uh, when you think about science, that that's a man, that's a woman, that's the way they were born, um, that's the way they're going to die. Mm-hmm. They can call themselves whatever they want, but that doesn't change the fact. They want you to enter into their fantasy. So why do we need men in the home? So our our boys have an example that they, by nature, will follow by virtue of whether it's mm-hmm. fighting, running, competing, and I'm not saying that ladies don't compete or women don't compete sometimes as far as that. But but the idea is, is one of these days, and it may come to America. It hasn't, uh, except, you know, uh, in 1912 um, um, uh, when the British came. But the thing is, is what we're going to do is we're going to see one of these days an invasion. Yeah, every 25 years, uh, America is in a major war. Yeah. Yeah, and, historically, yeah. And then in All's Fair and Love and War, yeah, they, they're not going to play into your fantasy or your imagination yeah. in real warfare. And then, yeah, there's going to be a test. And I, I, I believe that with my boys, I want them to be um, I want them to be tough. I want them to be very, very strong. And so they can be gentle. Yeah. And we understand it's like, you know, there's the old, the old classic picture, you know, you watch an NFL game, and here's some 300-pound linemen who is like biceps or as you know big around as my leg? Yeah, and he's holding his infant. Yeah, and that's a tender picture. And oh, isn't that cute and precious? Because here's a guy that's you know has such strength, but yet he's tenderly caring for an infant. And really, I think that's a picture of what a man is supposed to be: is somebody who can be a monster and can do if he needs to in defense of his family terrible things yeah um and you know be a mighty warrior spiritually mentally physically that um that he can think he can logically deduce circumstances and situations and think his way out of problems and really have utter competence you know um we were we were fishing last night with one of the teens from the church and he's asking us i'm glad he's asking his pastor this he's asking about um how to talk to girls I mean, at least he's not talking to the boys in the park, right? Asking yeah. them how to do that. Um, you know, I didn't have much to say. I said, well, you know, I started dating my wife 25 years ago when I was 18 years old. And so I'm kind of out of that game. But uh, essentially, my advice is to be competent in every area of your life. And really, if you're competent in working, you're a gentleman, you're, you'll have to beat the ladies off with a stick. Because ladies are looking for someone. Yeah, they're looking for con- somebody that's that way. He <laughs> feels a sense of, sense of well-being and yet is kind and whatnot rather than arrogant, mm-hmm. self-righteous, condescending. Yeah, forget that. Right. Yeah, you, you, ha- you have to live with that. You know, a lot of times people come, some to me, come to me and say, well, I can't believe that's going on because, you know, that I can't believe that he said that or he's doing that to her. And I said, well, I'm not married to her, so I couldn't do it. I'm not married to him, you know. So I, the thing is, we don't know what the dynamic, but if anything we need to do at Father's Day is to realize that we're grooming the next set of fathers and what kind of fathers do we want right. to training see the, men, the father. And then also we're training the daughters, and it's yeah. equally important that uh, girls have a godly daddy. And uh, I think, once again, that that is the... That, you know, he is the doorway to the outside world that uh, she's going to compare every fellow that she meets with her father. And uh, and then also she knows that he that she has a man in her life. The first man in her life is her dad. And, uh, you know, when it comes time to get married, you know, that 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 fella is going to come through the father to get her blessing. She's comparing 
uh, guys with her. And then also just out in the world, uh, again, um, your idea about the world around you really is, is shaped by the father figure in the home. The mother's that uh, nurturing, blessing, helping, like you said, comparison to the Holy Spirit uh, in that family. But uh, the man in the home is going to exemplify and going to be the doorway to the outside world for that family. Yeah. Success I, I, or fail. The, the sad thing is, is in talking in the perfect world, what we're talking about, obviously, it's not happening in our society. So what do we do now? I mean, we've got kids that are coming, guys that are coming to, or boys are coming to church and they're not real manly. They don't, they're not growing up in a, in a, a work ethic. And, uh, you know, nowadays the son goes out and mows the lawn. He, he gets some perspiration on his forehead. Mom wants him to Th drink lemonade. Yeah, thinks he's going to die. And that's mama's job. Yeah, right. But, but, but daddy's a, job is yeah. no, he's fine. He's yeah, stay out yeah. There. yeah. The, the old, rub, you know, rub some dirt in it is a reality. We, uh, Tim, Timmy and I did that big workout on Memorial Day at the Murph, mm -hmm. and uh, which was great. You know, I, I ripped my hand up. I still got some calluses from that. My, my hand was, uh, it was blood running down my arm, and I was having a good time with it. But he wouldn't realize if he didn't have a father. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's some tough women out there, but not many. And I don't expect you to be like, be like that and be like a man. Right. But, uh, so there's blood coming down, you know, running down my arm and we're, I'm still working out, still going. And, uh, we get done, we take pictures, you know, I'm showing off my wound for the pictures. And, uh, so he understands that, Hey, you know, get out there and you're bleeding and everything. That's fun stuff. Got. Yeah. You get all you got, <laughs> but you know what? And again, everybody out there or anybody's listening realizes that if he was to show that to a, a woman, um, you know, the, the torn up hand and everything else is very, 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 did I say very, um, few women would look at that and say, wow, you know, this guy's well, tough. They, they, yeah, they'd they'd say, say, well, that's stupid. crazy, stupid. Why would you hurt? You know, why yeah. would you do that? Why would you hurt yourself like that? Uh, you know, Hey, that's, that's the test. That's the, um, that is the, um, practice warfare that we're talking yeah. about. We're getting ready to defend our homes, our family, the people that we love. And, and you'll think, and, and the people will, and the women will thank God they have somebody that's willing to do it rather than somebody that goes and hides behind a couch. Yes. And, as far as and Christ, um, you know, the example of what a husband has to be uh, in marriage, that he lays down his life for his wife. Again, the strong man Christ gives his strength uh, to protect his family. Right. And, um, you know, many temptations, trials, strong crying and tears. That was Christ, you know, put through the pressure cooker uh, so that he could offer himself up for his bride, his family. You know, there's the example that we have in the home there. Well, and I think also one other thing that we're finding in our day and age that the attack is not going to be a frontal assault where we have to defend ourselves with weapons or fists or whatever the case, mm -hmm. it's going to be a mental assault. And the truth is, is women are better using their, and I, I don't mean this to be unkind, better at using their mouth because they had to use their mouth ever since they were a little mm -hmm. child because their, their brother was always bigger or their, you know, the, the guys were always bigger. And so they could rip them to shreds with their, with their words. Well, presently what we have is an attack on manhood and womanhood and verbal, and men get upset and fume and everything else, but they ought to be able to give an answer for the hope that is in them, a reason for the hope that's, that's right. in them. Uh, and they need to be able to deal with the saying, I'm, um, I had a, a young lady call me at the office this morning just simply because at work, she has to work at an office with somebody that they want to be referred to. It's a, it's a girl, and she wants to be referred to as they, as, as far as a pronoun's concerned, not she or he, but they, well, it's as dumb as a rock. And so I just said, well, first of all, you need to go to the company and find out if they have any kind of policy concerning this matter of, you know, the woke generation and everything else. And this is a girl that's asking, what should I do? So I tried to help give her some sense of well-being and wisdom concerning it and dealing with that situation, not shrink back. Their purpose is to intimidate. And the fact is, is that don't be intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. It's just being intimidated by somebody that's doing wrong. Don't be their judge. Don't be condescending. Just, uh, you know, obviously love them as Christ loved them. But, you know, if it's a girl, you're not going to call her a him. 
<laughs> you know, in that. And so if they've got a proper name like Alice, then just call her Alice mm-hmm. and just never use a pronoun. Just yeah. use Alice. Yeah. And you can be respectful. You can be loving and you can be kind uh, without having to without compromising without, your own convictions. Without being forced to lie. Right. Because that's a lie to, to play to play in some sort of a to play into some sort of a fallacy. Yeah. yeah. So again, um, to do this, it, it's going to take strength. It's going to take courage, and it should be exemplified by um, godly men. And I was going to. I thought too. We should touch on. There's a lot of guys who grew up without a father. So you know, you know, am, am I hopeless? Am I never going to mount to anything? Um, and of course, the answer to that is, you know, absolutely not. But what what you need to do, and I think that if you had a great, you know, godly father, and you know, um, like like I do, um, you ought to have many different men in your life, not just one that you look to just as far as masculinity and mentors and models. But you know, I'd encourage you that if you didn't have a good father growing up, to um, you know, surround yourself with very godly men. And I think even with my own boys, I am I'm thankful when they're exposed to godly men and they can do stuff with other men Better besides men. myself. Yeah, um, it, yeah. We live in a day and age where, you know, guys don't fish, they don't clean fish, they they don't go out hunting, they don't you know they don't get cold, they don't get. And the tragedy is a lot of men look at guys that do that as, as some kind of strange commodity. Mm-hmm. Where men have always been hunters and gatherers. That's right. Yeah. And so why not, you know, continue on that tradition? You can feed your family and it's good for you to experience some. It's in your DNA. It's, it's, you know, you you ought to honor your ancestors in that capacity. I think it's just to go out and work hard and get cold and get, you know, we um, landed a big carp last night and um, uh, women will ask you this. You're showing a picture of a big carp. Can you eat that? No, but that wasn't the purpose of me landing a big carp. <laughs> it was for me to take dominion yeah, over creation. The <laughs> and I see a big fish out there. We had a, we had a plot. We had a scheme because last time, last week when we went fishing, uh, we uh, saw all these big carp and they weren't biting at anything. I thought, well, let's bring corn, and uh, we and then uh, John threw out some corn on a hook, and man, it took took that bait and we and I had a struggle and got that thing finally after uh, fighting it for a while in the shore and my son Timmy got down in the water and as soon as that I told him get get down past don't get between the lake and that carp don't get in between the shore and the carp get between the lake and the carp and then chase it into the shallow and then kick it up on the shore so we landed this big carp you know John got his picture with this big animal then we let it go back into the water and we felt great. I mean, there was, no, you know, it was just uh, an amazing feeling. Uh, but, you know, our, our ancestors have been doing that for thousands of years, trying to figure out how they can land this creature and how they can take dominion over the, over the wild, bringing, you know, order into chaos. You know, here's the sea monster and I, we tamed it. I don't, I don't expect my wife to understand what it means to go out in dark city in the morning and sit up in a tree stand that's hanging on the side of a tree at 25 feet high and strap myself to the tree and sit there in abject silence yeah, <laughs> waiting uh, for the quarry to come by and for me to take an archaic weapon called a bow and arrow and do what I can to stay. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I she'd make fun of it and she does. Um, but the thing is, is that I don't expect her to understand it. No. And she and she doesn't. Yeah, and, and no, <laughs> like she doesn't. Why, you know, why, that's, that's, why, why you would do? you waste all that yeah. time and everything? You could. I remember one time I came home for deer hunting for a couple of days, and after a couple of days, I was bow hunting, didn't get anything. And she said, Did "You get anything?" I said, "No." And she goes, "I did. I hit one with a car." Ah. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, is that I, I don't expect to understand it because we're we're not the same. Not my tra- My thing is, is not every man has to be hunt or no. every fish. But the thing is, is that. There should be some outlets and some exercises. Yeah, really, there needs that you to have be a challenge. Life. Yeah, that, um, life. they need yeah, to go out with the, the men and boys. You know, the father son get have together, fishing, con- controlled trip. adversity, yeah. some sort of adversity. We used that to you camp. Face. You know, years ago we used to have father and son campouts, but you can't do it anymore because of the, you know, the perversion that's pervasive yeah. in our society, and that's beyond my comprehension. Mm-hmm. That you know, the, the reason being is because. The man is not a protector anymore. Yes. He's, 
Yeah, you know, his all and, his and cells say he's how, a, he's how about a man. That? How about this saying? I heard this and I thought that's genius way to put it. Uh, a guy is like an old pickup truck. He drives the straightest when he's got a heavy load in the back. And so, you know, you give a you give a man a wife and a family. We were just talking about this earlier at lunch that single guys a lot of times if they haven't gotten married, they're stinking weird. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, right. It's somehow they don't have a about, balance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're just off in left field or right field, yeah. or just they they don't have a lot of balance in their life because they because guys were made like an old pickup truck. And they're not going to drive. They're going to be squirrely unless there's a heavy load in the back. They got a responsibility they, to do something mm-hmm. and point in a certain way. They can be all over the charts. And that's why young men don't seemingly. Get, I don't want to say they get married. They should get married early, but how they can be, you know. You know, through the years and whatnot, I think it's a natural process. Mm-hmm. I understand that God made some eunuchs, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that when young men, they they just haven't matured to the fact of assuming responsibility because somebody nobody showed them or nobody taught them, and they're, and they're probably absolutely intimidated by it because they haven't seen it demonstrated in their own life. Yeah, that's probably true. You it's know, new to them, right? Yeah, in that way, and the, even if the man did work and provided for his family, if he's got the wrong attitude about it. Yeah. You know, like right. I, I work 40 hours a week. I've now, done him, my part. Yeah. yeah. Let, let him stay home and, and take care yeah. of the kids and clean you That's know, do the, the hard dishes work. and cook the food. Yeah. He'll be begging to go back to work. That's right. <laughs> work will be hour. like a vacation to him. Yeah. No, that's no doubt. Yeah. And, and I appreciate the balance. It's too bad our, our military has become a social engineering group because it, at one point, and usually during war, and I hate to say it because it sounds like it, it's a matter of just a matter of losing your life. But um, it causes them to have a sense of well-being. I know in mm-hmm. the 60s, um, I wasn't, I don't want to say I wasn't old enough, but I, I wasn't part of the draft. I was part of the lottery, and my number was high, and I was in college at the time. And, and a person could make fun of that and say, well, you never got, and that's true, I wasn't in the military. But I'll tell you what, I did know a lot of people that got drafted, and a lot of people went off over to Vietnam, came back, and it was amazing. They still were only 20 years old or 21, 22 max years old. But in a sense, they were old men. They were mature. Yeah. And yeah. They, they and did, between was, the ages of 18 and 22, I, you know, I don't think, you know, scientists would say your your brain isn't even fully developed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but between 18 and 22, that's the majority of people who have died for this country yeah. have been in that age group right there. And then, you know, yeah, you have guys coming back from war and they have been used to working together, tightly knit together for a common end goal and purpose for something far bigger than themselves that they're willing to die for. And um, that somehow gives them understanding and how they're supposed to function in society. Yeah, well, it gives them a sense of, uh, of value. But also this, you know, what's really amazing, they'll come back sometimes and because they are like a, an amoeba that's left out in the sea, there's, they don't see the camaraderie. They don't see the purpose, and they'll go right back, right in, into the military or into you know harm's way because you know not just the rush or the adrenaline, but the it's fact all, is this: it's a, a deep, deep sense of belonging. Yeah, when you're deployed, everybody in your unit is absolutely vital and important. And I mean, you like sleep in the same room. You have guys on watch out. You have guys all working together for the common end. They're all putting their collective mind together. Yeah. You're protecting and, your and then brother. When they come yeah. back, um, you know, they they feel lost. They don't belong. Yeah, exactly. To and I, you know, the answer for that, of course, um, God, family, mm-hmm. country. Right. And I think it's really in that order. You know, you get involved in church, you get involved uh, in your home. And, you know, even if you're not married, but with uh, your your blood relation and then also, you know, civically being a member of the society in which you're around and try to inter- <clears throat> interweave yourself together with that community. You know, and I, I think, again, back to the, f- the fatherless uh, women or men who might be watching this is to mark out different mentors. And I really think, too, um, you know, having a, having a good dad, it's just like kind of like, you know, both my wife and I, our parents are married, have been married, you know, it, you know, and they're, you know, you're coming up on 50 years sometimes. Yeah, just turned 48 years of marriage. 
<laughs> so coming up on 50, yeah. Julie's parents the same way. So sometimes we can take like marriage for granted. Like, oh, we know how to how it works. Um, where when you so- figure that out, let me know. Will you? <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, they kind of, re- where you can have somebody coming in from like broken homes and they can have way better marriage than my wife and I because they went to the Bible and redefined everything and then followed out God's pattern. Um, and I think it's the same way with fatherless children is a, you know, you can mark different men of God to be like your, your spiritual mentors and fathers. Yeah, that's so important. And because course, they have no example, those fatherless Yes. And so, you know, of course I look up to you, you know, you're my spiritual mentor and hero and everything else. Uh, but there's many different men of God that I look up to as, you know, spiritual fathers in the faith. Yeah. And I, and right. I think in a multitude of witnesses, there is safety. And I remember, you know, John Jenkins is coming this summer to preach a revival. RB a told me that he and John Jenkins were talking both successful pastors. And they were talking about all of the great, pastors who did the most amount of work and had the biggest churches did not have fathers. And so he said, um, well, they talk about, you know, Jerry Falwell, whose father was a a bootlegger, Uh, Jack Hiles, whose father was a drunkard, J. Frank Norris, his father was a drunkard. Uh, And uh, then, you know, the joke was that R.B. Lett and John Jenkins would just end up being average. <laughs> They'll be average pastors because they had good, good godly fathers. Um, <laughs> they didn't have drunkards for dead. <laughs> That's right, funny. Exactly. Uh, so you can make up for whatever was lacking. And then also, not only that, I think that you can um, actually do better, you know, if you let the Lord define from the Word well, of God. I think what, that's true. Because, and we, I don't want to leave uh, fatherless uh, children um you know, as orphans, so to speak, they, there is hope. And I think you're so right. You have to have a, you have to be in church. You have to have examples of women. You have to have examples of men. Um, and not only that, if you've experienced the wrong side of it, once you get saved, you may have a greater desire to make it right. right. Now you have to be careful. You don't do it mechanically. Or reactionary. Yeah. Reactionary. The thing is, is that you have a desire and you follow that example and it's tough. And if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your children. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't see it, if they see a, a mom and dad that seem to function mechanically, because that's what they're supposed to do as Christians, and that's what they got to do, but there's not a love, a genuine affection and appreciation. Um, and a lot of times what husbands and wives do, they become the wife becomes so focused on the children that the husband is just somebody that shows up. And then all of a sudden the kids graduated yeah. from high school and they're gone. They have no idea. Now what are we supposed to do? I think there might have been some of that, you know, who knows, but during the greatest generation because like during the Depression, during the war, and these, these households grew up tight-knit, and then in the 50s, you did have a, um, I think, a, a godless form, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. She had like a lot of Warden June Cleavers who like knew the pattern for marriage and did and performed the pattern for marriage, and um, they, there wasn't like... Um, a revivalistic movement during the fifties. There was a moralistic. Yeah. Well, movement. in fact, this is funny because even the leave it to beaver or whatever, yeah. the cleavers there, they, they went to church. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, and when I was in the fifties, everybody went to church. And, and but when, would you say God. a lot of churches in the fifties were, um, were, were your cultural community center? I exactly. Mean, you, yeah. you were dirt. If you didn't go to, I'm mean, like, you don't go to church. Well, the thing is, is I, I remember in third grade, uh, let's see what I've been eight years old. So I was 1959. Uh, I think thereabouts 1959. I remember the teacher saying, how many have a church that you go to? And so everybody raised their hand except three people in our class. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and everybody yeah. else probably would said, be the, absolute, don't have the church. It'd be the absolute opposite. Now. Yeah. Now it'd be three people go to church and everybody else would be looking at them saying, well, you go to a church for a while. Yeah. So yeah, it, we've definitely changed, but it started, I think, in the fifties. Yeah, and so you see, like um, the baby boomer generation, and then also like you know your, you know your your uh, your parents had a, a strong marriage, and then the five siblings in your home, they're all married to their, they're all coming up on fifty or fifty, they're fifty Already plus. 50, yeah. yeah, I think uh, my uh, my sister is at fifty four. Uh, see, she married six years before we did. Sixty eight, she got married in. So, yeah. yeah. 54 years. And then now the next generation, you know, does not value marriage the same as yeah. the previous generations. Yeah. And, and of course, ours is an unusual circumstance. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that 
uh, caused it. I think one was mom and dad, and we had a family. Or I remember my dad saying, "If we can't do it with our kids, we don't do it." Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't undervalue. I didn't understand the value of that statement, but they weren't always trying to get away from us. We they did it together. We right. were dad. We take hikes together. He'd take Sunday afternoon drives together. We'd go squirrel hunting together. He'd take all his boys up into the Adirondack Mountains to hunt deer. I think in the, I don't know how many years we went up there and slayed in a tent with freezing cold weather and hiked around those mountains and never saw one deer. Uh, right. <laughs> there weren't yeah. many deer up there at that time, but with four boys walking behind my dad, there was so much noise going on there wasn't anything within miles. But and, and the motto was, if you can't do it together, you're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Wow, let's stop there. Okay. Hey, thanks for being on, well, Dad. Well, Appreciate it very much. And the rest of you, go to pastorjack.org. Sign up for the blog. We'll Thank see you, you so much for listening week. today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.